This is Hank from the Wildflower Bee Farm. This is your podcast for March 20th, Saturday, March 20th, 2021. So this week, we uh, just yesterday, we did another shot at Live at the Hive, and it was a total bust because of audio. Apparently, the wind was blowing, and the, every time the wind blew, the microphone on the new fancy camera shut out. So I had to, uh, I then put a, dubbed it over and you'll find uh, at wildflowerbeefarm.com, you'll find the edition or the episode, I guess, on swarming, where we set up a swarm hive, hopefully to uh, invite in a swarm this spring and uh, for the St. Robert's School in Toronto, we're going to name it because of their dedication and they continually tune in even though my audio is a bust and, and we're going to fix that we're going to do dry runs for the next two or three weeks until we get it right and we may do one a month once we figure it out i can see why many i don't know of anybody that does live at the hive because it's very difficult with conditions knowing what the bees are like setting it up and all of that but we'll get it done and uh, get people to have that experience in uh in going around the highs we've had some really cold weather um in fact last night it was down to minus nine um the hives are still grinding though uh, we do have 30 out of 31 hives survive and that's just amazing we i don't understand it and i hope everyone's had such good fortune we know that every year hives will leave for different reasons you know some queens will fail some hives will say hey let's go live somewhere else and so on so I think it's realistic to maintain 40 to 41 hives going into into the winter to have 30 to 31 remain in the spring and continue the following year. So today I'm going to talk a, a lot about swarms because, uh, well, I'll, you'll find out in a minute. But before I do that, I'll just take you around a quick walk around the farm. So all the hives are doing well. I, I talked about last week that we had put in HopGuard and uh, they all seem to be fine. There's no issues with that. Uh, in looking at the internal monitoring, uh, it seems that some of the hives are starting to gear up and there's a lot of egg laying going on, which is concerning because we don't see a lot of pollen out yet. There's no, um, the maples are just getting ready, but they may have, you know, froze off with this recent cold spell. We see some wild flowers starting, but nothing blooming, just a few tiny blooms. The willows are budding, but they haven't opened yet, so it's it's going to be a little tough if if the hives are you know booming like that. The two hives in the uh, cedars and the spruce groves, where there's very little sun and the temperature still remains uh, somewhat below other areas, they seem to be behind. Uh, the majority of the hives within the bush, in fact, are are behind the hives that are closer to the front with less shade. So. Maybe that's why bees seek out, you know, they don't want to live in, in areas that are fully in the sun, according to a lot of the uh, research on swarming. So this week, today, I'll be setting up some more sensors. We'll be finishing off the home accept sensors by the pond. Yesterday, I was out, and I, I fired up all the different hives. We have uh, eight. As of today, we'll have nine hives that are willing to accept swarms. We have vacancies in nine hives, and that's how I want to talk about it, and I'll talk about it in swarming in a second. But I was out putting in a little bit of wax in some, and also some um, essential oil lemongrass, uh, just to give it that scent, and hopefully um, some hives will decide to move to our area, or the existing hives will swarm and create new families. And we'll, we'll hit that 40 target. I may do some splits in May, depending on how the swarming is going, or June. I can go as far as July, because they did all survive last year. 
all my splits. So let's let's see what happens there. To swarm or not to swarm. So I was in preparation for my um, live at the hive yesterday. I went in and looked at some more videos uh, by experts on swarming. The first thing we need to do is talk about why bees swarm. So the only way that a hive can naturally reproduce is with a swarm. So the process is, as you probably know or may not know, but I'll, I'll just do it as I understand it. The, for whatever reason, the bees get a sense that there's not enough space, that they need to, you know, there's just too many bees. So what do they do? They start making some changes. They start, you know, taking some eggs and feeding them special food to create some uh, queen cells. They then, um, as you know, probably about two weeks before they figure they need to swarm. Scouts have always been going out, and I believe this, which is why I've put out my my um, swarm invites early, because I think when they're out foraging and they see a spot, they remember it. They are uh, smart. Bees have brains. They, they can know where the spots are. And so when it's time to swarm, the, the queen stops eating. She trims down a bit. The um, the bees start gorging, pulling in honey to into different compartments in their bodies because they need that to sustain themselves until they can find a home. When it's time to swarm, anywhere from 30 to 70 percent, depending on who you read, what expert of the bees decide to go, they go with the with the queen. 500 meters or less from the hive, they create a, a sort of a protective ball around the queen, usually on a branch or tree, while scouts go out and look for a place to live, which would be their next home. When they find a spot, a few, they take a vote, they decide, they go, they set up house, they use all that honey to make uh, wax, and they generally only do this when there's a lot of other natural pollen and nectar out there. And it takes about another, you know, three weeks before or less, three weeks or more, depending on what you read, to decide, uh, to sorry, to have bees start to, to hatch. So there's a, a period of time where there's no brood, which people believe also helps with mite fighting, fighting off the mites. And there's also a new um, genetics. So the old hive will have to have a new queen. That queen will have to go out and mate, if it hasn't already, with a drone from somewhere, or drones, number of drones, creating different genetics. The hive that swarmed often will supersede that queen and create another queen uh, from some of the early eggs, and eventually that queen will be replaced. And from one hive, you see two hives. And sometimes the original hive will swarm again, and even though it's difficult to survive, many, many of them don't, that will then create another family. So let's assume for a moment that that hive has survived. Now, some of the scientists say 70% of swarms don't make it. They don't give you a lot of evidence why. They talk about they just don't make it. Well, probably because it's very difficult to find a place to live. You know, we don't have a lot of forest left in my community where you're going to find a hollowed out, you know, log that's appropriate and protected but has an entrance and all the things they need. So when we create these environments for our bees, we're not creating storm catchers at Wildflower Bee Farm. We're creating, sorry, storm catchers, <laughs> swarm catchers. We're creating a place for them to live permanently. So we're not going to, you know, last year, if you watched some of the older videos, you saw me go in and try to shake a, 
a swarm. I thought I had them, and then they looked at where I had shook, shaken them into, and they said, this isn't what we want. And they left, and they went to a, a top bar hive I had around the corner, and they decided to live there. So think about it for a minute. The bees are swarming. Uh, a bee has swarmed, and they, they go to what's called a swarm catcher box somewhere that a beekeeper's put up in a tree, thinking that that will be their home. However, and choosing it as their home and making all these great decisions and socially accepting it and going in and starting to propolize it and disinfect everything and create. And just when they're getting started, the beekeeper comes along, maybe even the same day, and shakes them into another box and says, well, wait a minute, you're going to live over here. Well, talk about stressful. So we're going to change our procedures this year in, in the sense of with swarms, we're not going to touch them. I'm not going to go out and cut down any branches or shake off any swarms anymore as they tell you to do in the book, if there is a book or the experts tell you, because the bees will either either find a place to live or unfortunately not make it. But that is their sort of journey in life. And, and by coming along and shaking them into a hive, I think I'm probably causing more damage. So that's the first thing about swarming. But most importantly, if we take a step back, we want our bees to swarm. I want every hive to swarm. Whether we have them come and they move into one of our other, you know, homes we've created or they go somewhere else or they find a log or unfortunately they don't make it. That is part of the life process of a honeybee hive. So when I was looking at these videos from experts from a university, and I don't want to say the university because I don't want to embarrass them, but in the first minute or two, the opening talked about this. You have to stop your hives from swarming. You have to take a pair of scissors and to help with this, cut off part of the wings of the queen. Now, it's just, you know, these are animals, and to me, that's cruelty. And if you should go into a hive, you should go in early when you think they're swarming and kill all the queen cells. You should, you should destroy the larvae that the bees are creating to create the next level of queen. You should destroy them, and you should add more space. And... And talk about cruelty to animals. While this may be, and, and the, bee, the expert, the expert from this university says, and what good is a hive living in a log somewhere anyway? It doesn't help the beekeepers at all, he says. That is not true. And I really think it's important for people with status at a university to give the other side of the opinion. For someone who's in honey production, who wants every bee to produce every last piece of honey they can so they can sell it and then feed them white sugar syrup all winter to hopefully help them survive, I agree. It probably doesn't matter. But for most of us, it does matter that honeybees are living in different parts of our world and they're not managed by humans. The world, you know, they've been here millions of years before us. There's a spot, and I did find one video, and I, I wish I had the link here, but I don't, where in Europe they found an area that had traditionally what we would call bees living without humans. Let's not call them feral bees or wild bees. Let's just call them bees without humans. And they found out that even though we've had varroa mites and all the horrible things that beekeepers treat, uh, over the course of some 20 or 30 years in this one defined area, there were 10 or 11 uh, bee without human hives. So they had been out there on their own. And after Varroa, there were 10 out of 11 still surviving 20-some years later, having engaged in the process of swarming and uh, 
developing different behaviors and somehow they're surviving. Even though there are many beehives around them, around this area from conventional bees, we'll assume that have mites and so on. So the suggestion that having bees without humans in our community is a bad thing, I think is, is, is really one opinion that we need to counter. So if honeybees only reproduce the hive by swarming, and every class you take, except mine, and every, every expert tells you to stop your bees from swarming, is it no surprise that hives aren't reproducing on their own? Because think of what we do. A beehive's ready to swarm, but whoa, an amazing beekeeper, an expert beekeeper, has taken all this class, picks it up early, and says, I'm going to stop them, takes out some scissors, clips the wings of the queen, kills all the queen cells, throws another box on top of the hive. Now, I didn't do any of the damaging stuff, but I did add a box to the tree pad hive, which was the only hive that didn't make it. I went from a, a deep and a medium, and then I added another honey box to it. And then when they filled that, I added another honey box to it. The bees didn't swarm, they kept expanding. There was no break, as they say, in the brood cycle if they had swarmed. So the queen, I think there may have been two queens actually in this hive, which is actually more common than the experts tell you. But anyway, this hive was gargantuan. It was huge. And guess what? So was the mite problem. It was a huge hive. It was out of control. It was on stimulants. It, was, it could have produced probably hundreds of pounds, probably two, three hundred pounds of honey if I kept adding boxes, but I didn't. I took one box for uh, distribution to people that have sponsored hives and some for the family, and I left three boxes on this hive and it perished. Now, it's just one example. I'm not using it as a, you know, research idea. I'm just simply telling you that this is what happens in every beehive in every part of our community. In, in most, I shouldn't say every. So swarming is good. So to swarm or not to swarm, I believe you have to have your bees swarm. Because swarming is the only way for bees to go out naturally and decide where they're going to live to encourage that behavior so that you can continue to have bees, help bees in your community that may on their own learn some things that we humans don't know about them, which is about 99% of what bees are going through. We have no clue. So to the experts at the universities, I say if you're going to only give one side of the story, stop it. There's another side of bees that doesn't require the clipping of wings with scissors and hurting them, doesn't require the killing of, of uh, queen cells before they become queens. Now, it's early, although some of our hives are going into their third year, so they've overwintered successfully for two years. They may not make it next year, I get that. But all I can tell you is the method that we raised, we started you know, helping bees last year, resulted in a 97% survival rate over our winter. 97%. Let's just take that statistic. Next year it may be 50, it may be 20, I don't know. Um, but we've at, we're at 97%. So that's my question to a lot of the conventional um, 
you know, let's let's not let bees swarm. I think that's great if you keep bees for whatever reason and however you keep them, but I think we need some standards as far as what we believe is best for not only bees, but also our environment. And for me, it's helping them. It's helping them and being humbled enough to know that bees have brains and in most cases they know more than we do. You can create all kinds of bee expertise levels and university professors and people running around telling you what they you need to do. And that's the other part to this video that bothered me. It was about you must do this. You must do that. And so unfortunately we are losing the ability to understand that the bees will get it if we give them a chance. I'm Hank from the Wildflower Bee Farm. Look forward to talking to you again next time. These are just my opinions, remember. However you are raising bees, good for you. All I'm saying is look at the entire picture. Let's look around at things. And let's do what's best for not only the bees, but also a business model that will work, but not destroy the species. You have an amazing week. I'll talk to you again next time.